Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? That's really cool. <laughs> it is what it is. Anyway, hi. Are you Quincy Jones now? No. What, what is your, <laughs> you are. You have just have a whole new career now. Tell, tell no, well, it. okay, so I, I am not Quincy Jones, but I, in order to help my neighbors or wanting to, I developed just a, a splash page, just a okay. splash page, so uh-huh. that basically I look legit when I'm, when I'm helping them out. Um, but I have no bands. Um, I have one band. I mean, they have them. Yeah. I have them. Um, but, um, yeah, I just was like, okay, let me see. It was 1299. And then to make a splash page, I was like, okay. And I bought an image from, you know, of a dark horse. And now I have, I mean, I have no real company, but, but what I do have is, uh, a desire to learn about the business. That's it. So like what's, is it the same? <laughs> is it the same as being a manager for an actor? It's just like trying totally to figure different. out what the opportunities. Oh, totally so different. that's why I'm like interested. If it was like, if it was for actors, I'd be like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Because I just actors, as we know, you know, we deal with them all the time in terms of just our history and our past. No, this is um interesting because it's like, um, I think I, it's interesting. I care more about music. Like I find music more interesting than acting, to be honest with you. In terms oh, of, yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> and so I'm learning like the kinds of how the music industry works and how I'm just doing some, some reading. And, you know, I sent a few emails on, on Bexley's behalf, but I mean, I'm just sort of like, I'm interested in knowing how things work so that, yeah, I don't know. I just find it interesting. And Rick Rubin, like I'm interested in producing and how producers make all their money. And it's it's all a racket. I mean, it's all a racket. Yeah. But, but I mean, dude, the thing I'm, uh, it's interesting about p- producing, I would love to know more about that, too, because I, I mean, technology has made it very accessible to people to for example, if you wanted to make a beat, you could play around until you found something that you liked. I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't. Well, the thing about you is you're really good at, at the producing side of things in life, as well as the creative. But you do have a knack, like directors and people who have a, mm-hmm. a bigger vision and are um, toolers, like tinker toolers around. Yeah. You yeah. have that. I don't have that. What I have is like I... I, it's not, that's not my jam. My jam is, um, why is it? Oh, I like people and I like networking. That's what I love to do. So I yeah. like people and networking and I, and I adore my neighbors. And it's also, they were saying like, it's the first time in a year and a half because of the pandemic that I've made new friends. Like, I, I, I oh yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. We're like, we're like mutually obsessed with each other because we live next door to each other and we have no one else. Right. Right. No, it's perfect. <laughs> it's, it's so perfect. 
So are you trying to find them gigs? So what I'm doing is trying to get them on. um, I'm acting as a third party sending their information to see if if they will have more luck with a third party sending their information to oh, places. Oh, yeah. I bet they would. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's kind of like, not I wouldn't say a joke, but it is also a sort of a gimmick. We're doing an experiment. It's an experiment to see if like me yeah. sending something to a, to a radio station actually makes a difference versus them. I don't know. They haven't responded. But, <laughs> but, but just... I mean, just like on a very basic level. So you're trying to, what is the goal? You're, you're trying to send like a demo. Yes, exactly. Is that a hundred years old? Is it a demo still? No, Beans, you're so right on. It's still demos. It's still, but it's all electronic, you know, it's all downloads and streams. So it's the same thing. I'm just saying, Hey, there's this band. And I literally say in the email, like I heard them, liked them. They're great people give them a listen. Okay. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. I'm like their weird aunt that's helping out. There's no money exchange. There's no there because there is no money. This is like all free stuff. Um, but what it does provide me is a, another outlet so that I'm not freaking out all the time about acting right. and writing. Obsessing. Yeah. And strangling. Now, yeah. will I strangle this? I don't know, but, but, but it not, and, I'm not that, I don't really have a, uh, it's not that I don't have a, I feel like I don't have a horse in that race is exactly like, I'm not trying to become a famous star in the music world, but yeah, I think man. there's still a part of me that's trying to become a famous star in the writing world and the acting world, obviously, uh, more so writing now. So I do have a, a horse in those games or whatever races. I love that. That's so smart because that is something I get tripped up a lot on too, is this like obs- obsessing about the the numbers and the, the these, the, uh, ob- obsessing about anything that's just, I was going to say entirely out of your control. I, of course, the part that's in your control is whatever you create, but, right. I, but like, I wish I wasn't obsessively tracking right. my progress right. on any number of things. Right. And I love the idea that you would put your obsessive nature, like you'd put it to good use. My right? anxiety to good use. Yeah. And I also, if if they're, to be honest, you know, it's all, it doesn't feel as close to me. So if, if something goes awry or if the, if, if the, if another manager, like a big manager picked up these kids, I wouldn't be, I actually wouldn't be, I might be like, Oh, but I, I the w- interesting thing, Gina is I have bands now emailing me saying, please <laughs> sign me. <laughs> so <laughs> that didn't take long. <laughs> it literally took one day. And so people are like, Hey, I have this band. I have this troupe of this. I have, and I'm like, you don't under, so what this just I love it. This I love shows it. us though, that, that, and it's just like when, uh, on our podcast, when we were talking with Siler, it's like, if you, 
pretend or if you are around and say, yeah, sure, I'll give it a shot. Like, you know, I'll play Jesus. And then all of a sudden you're playing Jesus in three mega hits or whatever it is. But it's like, if you say this is what I am, people will really believe you. It's so crazy. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy. And then you start to think like all you start to break down the people that you admire or look up to and you I mean, it's, that's another, there's this whole breaking the fourth wall thing about like, you can know something to be true. You can know it completely. And yet you suspend your disbelief to some degree with people who tell you that they're a band manager, tell you that, you know, you just, and, and also it just shows how many people are dying to make art and how hard it is to be paid for it. And that this is, and we always talk about this, or I feel like we do, or I do at least, but it's true. This is a long game. This is a long con. <laughs> this is not a short yes. con. No, and, absolutely. And I'm in it for the long game. And I think that it, that it looks, it's going to look different ways. And you're basically trying to outlast the other people that say, oh, F this, I'm not going to do a podcast or F this, I'm not going to write, try to get a script made or F this, I'm not going to produce my own stuff you're just we're just outlasting those people um last bitch standing that's (laughs) gonna be our new podcast (laughs) last bitch standing well here's the thing these people are in their 20s right uh 20s she's in her 20s yeah the lead singer she's amazing and they're talented as hell i'll send you all their stuff dude that's the other thing it's like so much of this stuff you just can't know until you know it you can't know until you go through the you can't know that it's the long game i mean some people probably can but i mostly people can't know until they go through the experience that you and i both had of thinking i mean we were just so primed to think well of course we're just going to go to school for this and then we're just going to do it for the rest of our lives even talking about suspending disbelief even though everybody tells you that is definitely not going to happen right right you you're like yeah but it will for me i mean that that's just what everybody thinks it, and, i'm the exception and the i'm the exception thing is the reason that conservatories exist i mean right because <laughs> yes. because if they didn't if if we if we realized oh we're probably not the exception i better diversify my talent those schools would go out of business. Everything mm-hmm. would be, a lot of things would go out of business. All mm-hmm. kinds of specialty stuff would go out of business, except for, you know, all like tra- trade schools would be all right, probably. But like, like acting conservatories, music conservatory, any kind of special, highly specialized art. Are mm-hmm. you kidding me? Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. wild. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dark Horse, baby. So have you listened to any of the... Some of it's really bad. I'm really sure. bad. Um, some of it's great, but also a lot of times, and I was talking about this with my neighbors, like people don't understand what it takes to actually be a band or be an actor or be a singer or be... You, they think the idea is great, but they have no band. There's no there there. Dude, I know it as equally surprising to me as like how many people there are out there trying to, you know, hustle for their dreams. It, it's so it's equally surprising to me how many of those people uh think that they're good and they're terrible. And maybe that's true for me. I mean, maybe it's true for everybody, but I I always have this experience of I wouldn't for example, if I was in a band, I wouldn't be reaching out to you until I felt like 
I had a lot going on and I had something really of value to offer. But that is not how people are, Gina. But that's not how people are with their writing and with their acting. Anything. I mean, people, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm, and it all, I guess it just is also subjective, but I'm constantly it's being just, like, how does that actress keep getting jobs? How does that writer keep getting things published? Like, it, what am I, I missing? I think you're missing um, the randomness you're not really missing it because you get it, but the randomness, the um, part and the false confidence or the real confidence based upon nothing, um, mm -hmm. whatever that is, that part. And I think a lot of it, I, I, I know people don't like to hear this, but a lot of it's just luck. A lot of it is just yeah. straight up luck. And people are like, but that is not okay that it's luck. But that is, I, and the older I get, the more I'm like, yep. It's, it's whatever you want to call it, luck, karma. I don't care what you call it, but it's not, it's definitely not drive, talent, confidence. No, it, there's a little, so much of it is luck. And the reason I know that for sure is, is because every time you listen to somebody who's famous in a field, like uh, listen to a comedian, every comedian has the person who they think is the funniest person in the world is a person you've never heard of. It's somebody that that, that, you know, they were coming up together in their early 20s and the person who's famous, you know, just had X, Y, and Z thing happen for them. And the per that person who they think is more talented than they are is waiting tables at Applebee's because so that's how life is. <laughs> that's right. Serving blooming onions. That's but right. At uh, Outback. But uh, the other thing I was going to say, what if we became famous for being music managers and we had <laughs> no writing? No writing, no podcasting. We're like famous music moguls. We have no idea what. And then we slip it into the contract somewhere deep on page 75. Must produce all <laughs> original television series created by. Hey, let me run this by you. Yes, I, I want to run something by you, which is not unrelated to what we were just talking about, okay. which is. What is your, okay, what is your view on, mm, <laughs> la on laziness? Because when I was doing my social work training, I remember a, a mentor of mine saying, the first time, <clears throat> the first thing she said was, I don't believe in boredom. Whenever somebody tells you they're bored, there's, you know, there's meat there to, to figure, you know, there's something else going yeah. on. But she also said that she did not believe in laziness, that she thinks nobody is inherently lazy. Um, what happens to people is perfectionism or, you know, there, there's a whole like series of interesting obstacles that get between a person and their. But I don't know, because I feel like I have met people who. Well, have no ambition or yeah. people who just or they have ambition, but they'll just never do anything. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about. You're right, because it's the people who don't really have bands or have no and want the thing, but aren't willing to do the work that straight up is to me uh, uh, um, and have the resources, especially or have the just don't want to do the work, whether whether they they have some deep seated self-sabotage or not. There is an aspect of I don't know if I would call it laziness, but 
but maybe it is laziness. But then there's people like my father, right, who my mom constantly called lazy, but he was really just filled with shame, dread, and depression and couldn't get, find his happiness. He couldn't get happy, but that was because of uh, so many things. But my mother loved to use the term to, to throw that insult around to people. That was her badge of honor was to call other people lazy. Look, I'm, and mm-hmm. I think it was because she had instilled in her that she would not be lazy as an immigrant at all costs and not be oh, labeled right. as that. Mm-hmm. So she, but she loved to throw it around. Don't be lazy. Like your father. Don't be lazy. Like your father was something I heard all the time. And he wasn't lazy. The guy was depressed, you know, right. But, but Maybe there's an intermingling where they mix because he also then got so depressed that he didn't take any steps. So, so he didn't take any steps to, to find his, find his thing, whatever his thing was. Yeah. Well, for sure. Um, shame and, and dread. What'd you say? Shame, shame, dread and depression, depression. Right. Yes. Yeah, certainly that's a, probably at play, maybe even in the majority of things that we would call lazy, but tied up in it is um, probably I'm not making this term up, but I haven't heard it. What I'll call a uh, uh, um, doing culture. Yes. Just this idea that like, everybody has to be constantly doing something all of the time and everything is evaluated based on its productivity. And, you know, you're either productive or lazy. You're not on the spectrum and sometimes you feel more and less, um, which is a a sickness. I think it is a sickness. And I think that, man, I think that it's, it's, rooted probably right in this puritanical you work you work until you're dead you drop dead you know from work and that's noble um, it's noble to drop yeah exactly exactly and it's funny that any immigrants by the way would ever be referred to as lazy because immigrants are always the hardest working people because they have to be that's the whole right. like, thing behind it is you have to you, you think about all the people who couldn't get whatever they needed together to to immigrate to another country right to get here or there or wherever yeah and i think that it's my my mom um i think just internalized that and she she if you weren't up at 6 a.m on a saturday doing something you were lazy it's so gross it was so she could never relax it was so sad too because then she could never then she got sick and she'd learned how to relax i would say the last 10 years of her life but like that's 10 years that's only 10 years what about on vacation would she ever go into relax mode in certain circumstances she would she could she could vacation usually you know a glass of wine or three would help but like Mm -hmm. but she would go on vacation. She wasn't like, we have to go, go, go. When we were on vacation, she took us on vacation. So that was it. But that was really only the last 10 years, like I said, of her life. When we were young, when we were on vacation, she just, she would cook and clean the cabin. You know, it would just be like, (laughs) what in the hell? So my mom had a hard time relaxing. Let's just say that. And I think that she mistook relaxation for laziness or laziness Mm -hmm. for relaxation. And I think that I have a similar thing where, where I feel like if I'm not doing, 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 I'm being lazy, but I've gotten better at that because I'm like, look, I worked all day Sunday on something. I'm not going to, you know, Monday, you know, yesterday was kind of a down day, but like, I'm not going to beat myself up for it. So I think I've gotten better, but, um, 
it's a yeah, it's a whole it's a whole process. And um, what I have gotten slightly better about is just saying like. I've gotten slightly better about not always just denying whatever I'm feeling in the service of what I'm doing. Um, but it's still a challenge. And sometimes when I feel like I can't do, I have to have an out loud conversation with myself about, okay, but why, so why can't you do? And what's then you're feeling this way. And why are you feeling, you know, if, if I, t- if I take five minutes to just mm-hmm. ask myself what the deal is, I can I can then either let myself relax and not do something or do it without this because when you don't take care of yourself it's the same as when you don't feel taken care of it's this like it just creates this resentment totally that, that festers inside of you I can make myself do something and then resent my own self for it it just the I, most totally cockamamie totally waste of time Totally. I do the same thing. And I, I think I had a real, the, the, the first time in a long time where I had a real moment like that was when I was still in school and I had to write that 14 page paper and I was so angry and I thought, why am I doing this? This, this? But, but I was so resentful at myself. I was resentful. at It was like pulling teeth and things for me are not like pulling teeth, usually not like pulling mm-hmm. teeth. Like I am a, a I can do things even to my own detriment. So, so I knew something was going on and you're right. If you take five minutes, if I take five minutes to say, what is really at play? What's at really play here? I don't care about this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, at all. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I'd rather spend my time writing something else, doing something else, podcasting, talking, even whatever, hanging out with strangers. It doesn't matter. So I thought, okay, let's, and I think you're right. I think the key is taking the time to have an, even if it needs to be out loud conversation with myself or yourself and say, what is going on here? Why don't I want, but see my dad, like for instance, never did that. And my mom never did that. They just said, oh, he's lazy, which is why he's not finishing his dissertation, which is why he's not finishing. Well, maybe the guy didn't want to do that shit. Did he think of himself? Did he buy into that did he refer to himself as lazy i think he did in his core yep he had heard it all his life from his father you know we marry mm. our you know yeah, he married right. his father basically and so it was a it was a common theme and it didn't help that he was so tall and big so there was kind of the lumbering like right it just was a disaster <laughs> Poor guy. Oh, God. So, poor guy. So, but you know, I've learned to say, like, you know what? I, you know, I'm not, I question, I think it's really smart to question the term lazy and question it good. And before I use it on myself or anybody else, question really, what am I saying? Yeah, because chances are it's actually it's not, not lazy. about laziness at all. It's about yeah. shame or, yeah, that's a great, let me. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Stephanie White. Stephanie White is someone that came up in a lot of people's interviews uh, early on, and we wondered what had happened to her, where she was, how she was doing, and we found her, and she found us, and we had this conversation, and she's a professional poker player, which is fascinating, and she has a huge heart, and she's hilarious as hell, so please enjoy our interview with Stephanie White.
Stephanie White, congratulations. You survived theater school. I did, I did. And we're so happy to talk to you about it. As we've said, your name has come up a lot. And Boz and I have been thinking so much more critically. I mean, if you go back and think about this time in our lives through adult eyes, you have a lot of different takeaways about it than maybe we had while we were there. And that's kind of what we're doing here is sort of getting what everybody's takeaways are 20 something years after the fact. So you already told us you're not (laughs) 20. Is it a 30? You have to say that. Yeah. It's going on 30, y'all. It's going on 30. (laughs) Well, we'll, yeah, I'll cut that part out. But um, we can edit that. So uh, have you thought much about your time at the theater school or did you just kind of move on and look, never look back? Both. It's not something I obsessed over, but it is definitely something that I've revisited time and time again throughout the course of my life after and leading up until now, where mm-hmm. you're like, have these little aha moments of, oh, that's what they were trying to teach me mm-hmm. or oh those sick fucks <laughs> like what yeah. you know yeah. what I mean like you start to kind of really process when well, we're 19 years old no one knows what right. the fuck they're doing I mean I'm 45 going on 46 I don't still don't know what I'm doing so yeah for sure I don't know how you can be in that environment and not suffer a certain amount of PTSD you know yeah <laughs> that's true. I mean that's true. it's it's it was intense. Yeah, super intense. And we saw uh, you post, you commented somewhere on social about what, because Boz told the story about when one of the teachers oh my could, God. couldn't think of though she couldn't. Do you remember <laughs> that? Obviously you remember. I do. And I got to tell you guys, I started listening. I found the podcast and, and then looked at it and realized there was a ton of episodes. I thought I tuned in when I saw Jen Didi had one and then I just thoroughly enjoyed myself. I put it on in the morning when I'm like doing yoga and picking up around the house and my boyfriend's in the next room and I'm like having full conversations out loud <laughs> and he doesn't really know what I'm listening to. And that episode came on and I was like, uh, Jen, you said my name and my boyfriend's in the other room. Like, what the fuck are you listening <laughs> to? Like, what? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's been a riot listening listening to everything that's going on and and all the comments and and it's just awesome. I I, I love what you guys are doing. Oh, good, thank you. So I'm going to continue to. I, I saw that some of the professors are on there, and I'm just mm-hmm. re- I listened to Tate's I think the other yes. day, and it's just so much fun. It's like uh, things come back to me so crystal clear, and then other things are like triggered by what pe- people are saying. I'm like, oh my god, what <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's it's. I really really enjoy it, oh, and I think that you. if you weren't in the theater school, the 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 way that you guys approach things and the lead in and everything, it's just so refreshing to hear especially oh. you know two badass women you know oh, that's refreshing <laughs> that's to obviously hear. Al- always a plus so um I was gonna say is uh, at the time we wouldn't have had the we wouldn't have known the word microaggression but as we look back yeah this thing that happened when the teacher couldn't think of the word to to refer to african-american and she ended up saying negro or something like that negroid negroid, negroid. 
yeah. a, hor- a like, horrible what? thing, which you guys clocked in the moment. And, and I think you addressed it in some way, but I'm imagining as you look back, there was a bunch of stuff like that, that you're thinking of differently now. Uh, definitely. I'd like to relive some of it just yes. because I'm not sure how bad it was. You know, yes. I dealt with, I dealt with race stuff my whole life. So, I mean, that's been a, a theme that thematic thing. Now I don't really remember that being like an issue in the theater school because you know, there, you have to be open-minded to some degree. You're dealing with a bunch of artists. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, yeah, I, it wasn't at the forefront in terms of how professors and that dealt with it. But there were mm-hmm. certain times where you're like, okay, Negroid, all right, you know. And then obviously material, material-wise. Oh, historically, there's nothing, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, yeah, Stephanie, I know what do you remember, Do you I know remember our scene? Our scene? <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. so... Stephanie and I, for Don Ilko, found a scene. We were trying to find a scene for a Latina and a Black woman, okay? We found a scene. There were no scenes. Right. Like We found a like, scene. Hello, hello. We did it. He Nothing. said, this is shit. This is shit. And it was what shit. You, but- it was shit. But we but we found it. I mean, and then he, he continued, and then I just oh, like remember the, the play was not well written. Well, everything I mean? we were sh- it was real super contemporary, and we yeah. tried to bring it like give it like a real fresh edge with like up to date music, and you know what I mean. And and we were just really trying to sincerely connect with what who we were as people and express ourselves through something other than like old white men from the 1800s or whatever these scripts, right. you know, right. <laughs> I just remember nothing. crying. I was crying. Yeah, we in both class, were falling in that falling class. because he's, he was, uh, what I heard was your shit. Mm-hmm. Nothing exists for you and your mm-hmm. type. Right. What is and this garbage? And that's too bad. Yeah. That's too bad for you. You're an right. actress. You're supposed to be able to act, and it's like, but hey, uh-huh. I mean, what? <laughs> right? You know, yeah, I mean, he, he wouldn't this have is not relevant. Right, he wouldn't have probably either been able to grasp this whole idea of like it was his job to help you find material that both was you know an acting challenge for you but that also wasn't just completely outside of your experience and that you could bring something unique I mean it really among other things it's a missed opportunity to provide not just you but all of us with like anything outside new cutting edge you know I mean I understand we're talking about the fundamentals here you know from like a real basic building block way and i i appreciate that a hundred percent you got to have that in any game you're trying to play you know but but there needs to be some more uh accessibility for creativity and uh, celebrating different experiences not just you know i don't know Right. Yeah, it hello, broke my heart. Hello, Dolly, or whatever. <laughs> it really, it really broke my heart, and it also propelled me to see. And it also, um, I felt really a lot closer to you. And then I felt yeah. like we were able to. Then we worked together on a different scene, and then we worked together in a kids show, Andrew Kalees and the Lion. Yes, yes, and, and both felt- were expressive in that way. Yep, mm-hmm. both were expressive, and you know what? They both came from him. He picked that scene that we did. 
Hmm. And he directed Androcles and the Lion, which was, you know, Don Ilgaden? ethnic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't realize that. I had forgotten about that. Interesting. Well, you'll be happy. So you'll have to listen to the episode that airs next Tuesday because okay. it's our first one that has a student who's he's still there. He's graduating this year. Oh, I just got the chills. I just got full body <laughs> Yes, and he's black, and he started a group at the theater school. Okay, so the, his class, it was something like 32 kids that got admitted in the in freshman year, and 12 people of color, or maybe 12 black people. I forget if he said that. I think it was 12, 12 black, black actors. People. Yeah, so he started- I'm no mathematician, start- but that's like 30%. <laughs> it's, yeah, a right? it's a lot. It's a lot. And he, they started a whole group about repre- about their own representation. And he really, he and the group took it upon themselves to, you know, in conjunction with Phyllis, who, as we know, has been there for 40 plus years, just hold, hold, yeah, for a, <laughs> holding up, holding up the mantle of everything related to diversity. Um, they, their mission is really about like, just establishing more uh, in a more integral way listen this is who's here and we warm up differently and we have you know a different idea about how to learn things and you need to get with us instead of us always having to get with you so you have to listen to that yes that is that I will that is like beautifully said too because it's it's the truth of it um and and when you were asking about you know um I, I guess indirectly race and how it, 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 it affected my time there. I think obviously it was present in my whole life, but Jen, that moment with that scene was one of the first realizations where I really was like, there's n- like not anything for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Well, it, it, and at the time, even after graduation and going out on auditions and things, this is what late 90s early 2000s so there was no such thing as like just a character you could go out for where you might be black or you might be latina or you might be gay or you might be trans or all these other things without it specifically indicating it's for that thing and otherwise there weren't no specific shows for that said race right. or whatever right. right so uh it became extremely it was very difficult for for me to go on auditions and I, I ended up signing with like a boutique agency and they would send me on auditions and a lot of times it would ask for in the description description of the character character I was reading for a black woman and I would go to the audition and I would arrive and they'd be like, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, cause I, my dad's black, my mom's white. I probably look like a tall Latina or mm-hmm. I, I could look like many other things, but I don't mm-hmm. necessarily look black um, mm-hmm. when I walk into a room. So they'd be like, wait, why are you here? Because the role was specific. My first um, audition when I got to LA was for the role of Mary Jane in Half-Baked. Uh, opposite oh, Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I mean, you you got to tell me mm-hmm. you you think they're not looking for a black mm-hmm. female, right? So when I come into the audition, they're like, "Wait, what? Why is this like Mexican girl?" You know what I mean? I, I don't. Mm-hmm. It's, it was mm-hmm. it was it was difficult. It was a challenge. And, did that um, lead to you? I mean, did is that part of why you stopped trying to pursue that and went on to other things? 
I think it was part of it. It it felt so dirty to me, the whole mm. thing. The whole the whole thing. I remember so when I got to LA, I was basically by, you know, by myself. Tate later moved in, whatever. But um I uh I forgot I've totally forgot what I was saying. Okay. You were just saying that when you got to LA you were alone and when you first moved out there. And so we're just talking about your journey as an actor. When oh, you got so to I LA. didn't I didn't have like anything to do and I didn't have any money and there was a gym in my uh in my uh apartment complex and my brother came out and stayed with me for about three weeks while before Tate reached because I didn't know I mean, you know, I'm there living in the middle of LA. Yeah. 21 years old or whatever no idea what's going on so he came and stayed with me and he took me to the gym every day and taught me how to lift weights and taught me how to work out properly and eat properly and so I lost a ton of weight and the agency was like well you should just like go to a modeling agency if this is what you're gonna do and I remember being like oh, I thought <laughs> that they would be pleased it's like yeah. what it was it, it was just weird and, and I think you know I'm 5'10 with you know a, a you can't it's just a, a different look I think like a different look so it was you know you, you can't really go out for lead roles because there were no lead roles for ethnic looking girls and if I'm a sidekick it's like a little bit too obvious you know right and, of, and also of, it just speaks to LA's inability to um especially during that time it's getting a team during that time yeah but but like be able to see beyond like open like open your mind for god's sakes but yeah, I'm an I, actress yeah <laughs> and I'm, I, I went out for uh, a role that was like going to be a new up-and-coming uh Hispanic show and it was like a they were really excited about it because like the first of its kind and I got called back three times and then at, at the end, they 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 asked me what my ethnicity was, and I told them, and they're like, "Well, <laughs> we can't, you know, we can't have a Hispanic show and then tell our Hispanic followers that this is an African American Caucasian woman or whatever, you know." And my agent was like, "Well, why didn't you just lie?" And I'm like, "Okay." I'm right. an, a. I'm an actress, and B. Okay, so I lie, and then the show's a hit. Then who has their dick in their hand? You know yes. what I mean? Like what? Who? Where are we at? What? I'm just Why supposed to lie. Just... I'm an. I'm a trained actress. The whole. You know. I mean, I get it. If you want, you know, in that time, represent, represent type of thing. But what? <laughs> what? So that kind of stuff kept happening, and then eventually the agency and I just it wasn't it wasn't working. And so I was done there and I, I made one, it had been a few years and I had made a, another attempt to sign with another agency. I forgot about this until this moment. And I go in and it was like down La Brea. I don't know. And it was this woman and we were in this big office. It was like a, a big, big uh, desk table and all the chairs and windows facing, you know, the city or whatever. And I remember going to interview with her and she like took me to the window and put her arm around me and was like, see this, see, that could all be yours. What we're going to do is, you know, maybe an athlete comes to town and we're going to set you up with the athlete and have, you know, it was like, wait, what? Wait, it, what? Yeah, it was, we're going to get you some um, spreads in Essence magazine and um, oh. we're going to have you, you know, you, you would just go out with these guys and show them a good time. It's going to get you exposure. And I'm standing there and she got her arm around. Oh. It was like some 
like Joe. It's like a terrible a movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. And she was literally like, this could all be yours. <laughs> and I was like, I'm out. I'm out. Wow. I'm Did out. you feel like she was trying? I mean, that sounds like she's trying to prostitute you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. On a, on a, on a, um, like a microaggression level. It, yeah. 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 And I was like, no, I realize that's one little drop in the bucket, but is it? <laughs> right, right, right. So I was like, I'm out. This is just not. I, and you know, it was around that time that I started to realize that it was never what I really wanted anyway. It was okay. never what I really wanted anyway, and um, it just, I, I was out. I mean, I just, I, it was, it was, it was unfortunate. It was, it wasn't like an easy break, you know. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I remember being devastated. But um, also there was an element of relief at the base of it too. Like, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm out. And uh, it's too bad. I think, I think if it was today, it would be a different story. Mm. I mean, the amount of material and availability and like, I can just go out for a role. It doesn't have to be, you know, you know, a, a, a black show or a, uh, uh, ethnically based show. I can just go on as a character and that mm-hmm. I happen to be who I am. That's mm-hmm. the whole point of acting, right? So I don't know. So when you say that, you know, it was never really what you wanted, I'm so curious about that because you're not alone in the fact that that has happened to a lot of people that went to the theater school. But I, um, I guess I can take us back, if I can, for a moment to how you ended up at the theater school then. You're from Michigan, okay. right? Uh, yeah, uh, part of, yeah, I, I did most of my growing up there and I, I, I would, it would be fair to say that I was naturally pretty dramatic from, from the, from the gate. (laughs) And, uh, we, my dad's job had us moving around a lot. He was an executive for Ford Motor Company. So we were around a lot, you know, a little bit East coast, mostly, you know, Midwest type of thing. I think I lived in 12, uh, six states by the time I was 12. Wow. So that in itself is a little bit messed up. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And, um, I learned very quickly that humor was the best way to make friends quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I started developing this thing that at the time I had no idea was a a defense mechanism, a survival tactic. And so the fortunate side of that is with that, I developed a a very uh, refined skill of observation and, you know, uh, uh, adaptivity, is that a word? (laughs) An -hmm. ability to adapt. because I had to, I had to, it was tough at the time, but looking back, I'm so glad because it's, 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 it's thread that, that, that ability has threaded itself through, through my whole life. But um, so, so, so yeah, I was like kind of a clown, you know, a little bit and I just tried to fit in and, and kind of mimic what everybody was doing. And my dad uh, was uh, <clears throat> a semi-pro basketball player. So he desperately wanted me to, he wanted me to play sports. Then he wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I, I tried, I tried with the sports. I tried everything. And, and eventually I was like, okay, that's a wrap. It's not yeah. happening. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, 
And so I had a lot of energy and my mom was like, well, let's try these acting classes. I think I was like nine and it was a match. It was good. I remember, yeah. I, was like, yeah, I think it was like nine and she dropped me off of those classes, came back and she was like, how was it? What'd you do? And it was like, uh, it's a vague memory, but I vaguely remember there being like a, a mix of humans in the class. Like it wasn't just all nine-year-olds. It was like adults. So maybe wow. it was like a company or so there's like adults. And so it might've been like a, like a local company or something. I don't, I don't have like the the most vivid memory but I do remember that portion and I got home and she was like how was it and I was like we did a play called Antigone <laughs> and she's like my nine-year-old doing wow. Antigone okay like what That's but anyway I, lo- I, I loved it I I I I loved it and um I, you know, I never did. I, I hear so many people who were like, they, they did debate and they did all this theater and they did. And they were like so versed before they even got to DePaul. And here I was like, I don't know. I just did, you know, my like local high school stuff and like just basic, basic stuff. And uh, so then when the when the doctor lawyer thing came up between me and my dad, I was like, I, that's not happening. And he was like all right, well, but you're going to college. And I was like, okay, that's fair. So I'm going to be an actress. And then he was like, all right. So but you're going to a good school. And I was like, all right. at the time I was like, whatever. But looking back, I'm like, oh, God bless him. You know what I mean? He yes. gave me such a gift. Yeah. So, um, so uh, it was, uh, I did some re- research and I don't know what it is now, but at the time it was DePaul Conservatory was number three. I think Juilliard was number two and Tish, uh, NYU was, was, was number one. And Tish sounded like, you know, just the, the jaws of hell. Like it just Mm -hmm. sounded not to mention astronomically expensive, but yeah. And Juilliard sounded too far, you know, it was just, but DePaul sounded like the just right, you know, for, I was in Michigan at the time. So it was like four or five hours away. Mm -hmm. Um, I also did look at, Oh, uh, is it, Emerson College in in Boston. I didn't physically go, but I looked it up and I liked the, it it sounded very nice. And U of M, my brother had gone to U of M. And so U of M obviously was in there. And um, I, I, I just applied to DePaul though and didn't do the others and, and got it and, and got in, but yeah. Do you remember your audition? Do you remember your audition? Did you come to Chicago for it? I do. I do. I just actually listened to Erica Yancey's podcast the the other day. And she's like, oh, yeah, I did the wool gatherer. And I was like crying over it. I was like, me too. That's so close. (laughs) I definitely see a lot of the same material over and over. But in the moment, you're like, this is so unique. And like, whatever. Meanwhile, it's the fifth time they've seen the wool gatherer that day. They're all sitting there mouthing the words silently like, to oh themselves. Oh my god, is she gonna cry over this bird already? God damn. So, um, I, I, but what I remember most is, you know, I, my dad built himself out of out of nothing, and we lived in affluent. I think he was uh, uh, one of five black employees for Ford out of two thousand at the time. So, it, it, growing up, it was like you know, I'm, I'm not, there was like four black people in school. They're like, you know, I'm not black enough to hang out with them. I'm a little bit too confusing for the others. So it was, it was, I got along with people, but it was definitely 
there where there wasn't anybody who looked like me and there wasn't a lot of diversity in in where the places I grew up. So what I remember about going to Chicago the most is driving there with my mom and coming upon the city and I'd never been there and being like, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> like it just, before I even saw people and and what was going on and the, the feel of, you could just, I could just feel it. I could just feel like, I'm home and I'm not going to feel like some freaking alien anymore. This is going to be amazing, you know? And it was true. Once I got into the city and walked around and it was just, it, it was, it was so eye opening. And I was like, this is it. This is, this is, this is what I want to do. And I've heard other people on this podcast say that the real education that I got came from that city, the mm -hmm. real education. And it was that was worth every penny. That yeah, was and you penny. worked. You worked all the way through school, right? You were always working. Uh, I have the, the picture that Jen Deedy right. sent us of the two of you. You're wearing an apron from Hennessy's? Is that what it's called? I worked at Jack O'Sullivan's. Oh, okay, that must Jack be what it said. Jack um, And uh, it might have had, like, it might have said something, you know, Irish bar. It might have had some, like, yeah. Uh, promo apron or yeah, something but yeah, maybe. I was when I got the job I was 20 and I lied and I, this is so awesome I lied and I was like yeah I'm 21 and they don't do any checks or <laughs> no, anything back like, in the day get, you could get on a plane without an ID like right. what yeah. so mm -hmm. this is where we we're at and they were like okay great and I waitressed for a little bit and I really wanted to bartend and I think someone called out sick and they threw me behind the bar and I just, it was, it was a mad, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm a jack of all trades master and none. I, I've never been able to do something really good in my life except bartend. Okay. <laughs> so it, it, it was awesome. And it, it just, it, it paid for my, paid for my weekends and, yeah. and maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, Very like I would bartend. Important. And, and make money to go dancing and clubbing or just drinking or whatever the case may be. <clears throat> wow. But yeah. It, 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 it. I wanted to go just go back to you talking about humor and you, I think you referred to yourself as being the clown, which is a very good defense mechanism. I mean, like of all the defenses available to people that <laughs> I feel like that's a very socially acceptable one. And I'm just curious um, how you're reflecting on that now. Did it make you, did you ever feel resentful about like having to be the clown? Did you ever find yourself wanting to, you know, for at least for a minute, have people take you more seriously than they were? Uh, no, I, I not really because I enjoy quick wit. Like that's my favorite thing. And um, I, I, but I do regret, or what, however you're saying, um, uh, uh, w wanting approval desperately. Mm -hmm. That's where that's I think the crux of, you know, uh, that survival that survival tactic. That's what's at the base of it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't mind developing, uh, being fun and silly and quick witted. I enjoy that. I enjoy it in other people, but it's at, like I said, at the root of that is like, you know, a need, a need for approval, a need to fit in, a need for people to like you and be accepted. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what I regret because that 
has caused problems in my yeah. life. Well, mine too. You know? I mean, I think yeah. that that's a universal thing. And we hear, it, we hear it a lot about people that went to the theater school, obviously, because we're all actors. We want to be picked. We want to be chosen. We want to be liked. And at the same time, we're being told that, you know, we're not, it's a lot of times we're not enough. We're not the right thing. So at the theater school, how did you feel? Cause okay. My impression of you is like this, this um, super resilient, funny, strong, charismatic, but now I'm hearing that underneath there, like me and probably like all of us, there was this real mm. need to want to fit in at the theater school as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, you know, the environment, doesn't exactly uh, nurture or, you know, cradle you in a, in a, in a nest kind of way to. No, the nest is not what I would really, unless the nest has, nest is filled with spikes and some M80, M80 fireworks. Then then we're in a nest. God. Yeah. More like a foxhole. foxhole. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, that was, uh, yeah. And, and I remember them always being like, are you sure, you know, is this really what you want to do? And I'd be like, God, how dare you? You know, the audacity when looking back, if it really was in my bones as my passion, like my inherent passion, then I would never react that way. I would just laugh Mm -hmm. them. I would be like somebody being like, you know, you're, you're, are you sure you're 5'10"? You know what I mean? I would just laugh and be like, mm-hmm. whatever, right. because it's, it's, it, there, there's no uh, defending it. There's no need to defend it because it's so true. But at the time when they would ask me that, I'd get so upset and be like, how dare you, you know? But again, like I said, I, it wasn't, it wasn't at the time I thought it was. And the need to succeed at what I was doing was, you know, approval from my father, approval from my peers. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, that was the driving factor. So many things it's, it's, uh, and I think like Jen said, you you know, you're not alone. You're not, it's so many people. uh, I listened to um, John Cabrera yesterday and to hear him say, similar to what I'm saying about being insecure and being nervous and not sure of himself. I was like, what him? <laughs> right. It, yes. It, that's not what came, came across. That's not right. what came that across. has been it was very like, eye opening. Yes. So it, it is refreshing to some degree to say, Oh, okay. So I wasn't the only scared shitless person who doubted myself. You know right. And I wonder even if they asked us, right, even if we were all 19 in a room or 20 and they said, okay, raise your hand if you're scared shitless. I don't know that we would have the the wherewithal to say me. I think we'd all be like, oh, I'm fine. Or I know yeah. I would. I'll speak for myself. Or I'd it be would like, be like, yeah, like a look around the room and then one hand would go up and then everybody's hand would go right. up. The thing, you know, like, and it would either be nothing or that <laughs> because definitely. no one's going to say, especially a bunch of actors. I mean, God bless America. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the lasting memories I have about you is we were just about to graduate. I can't remember if it was before or after we went to LA and we were sitting out in front, you know, on the stoop, whatever you call it. Um, and I said, so what are you going to do? And you said, I'm going to move to LA. Like you shrugged your shoulders. You're like, I'm going to move to LA because like, 
what else are you going to do? <laughs> you said to me, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to move to San Francisco. And, we've, and I, we were both trying to tell each other, like, and I'll, it'll be fine because I'll make yeah. my living and I'll be an actress. And, you know, but yeah, as I look back, natural. I... I think we were both like, and neither one of us are going to make it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it because was like, of I don't this, see it. Yeah, this ambivalence, this ambivalence that we, I think we both had. And probably a lot of people have. Like, of course, and in fact, it doesn't even really matter about how much you wanted it. Because if wanting it was enough, then everybody would be a famous actor. Or so many more people would be than are. It's, it's about yeah. so many factors that are not under your control. And I think we maybe both had a sense of like, we're going to do this, but then there's all of this unaccounted for stuff that's going to happen right. between now and then that may or may not. Right. Out. Like my boyfriend and I always say like, and it's already written, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's kind of that kind of thing where it's like, you know, Hey, you can control what you can control. But after that, I, I mean, I don't know, you know, and yeah. just kind of, kind of got to go after it and see, see what shakes out, I guess. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. looking back, I, I, I enjoy theater and I would have, <clears throat> The me now, I think, would have enjoyed staying and doing like black box theater in Chicago more than anything else, because that live energy exchange is just undeniably what it's all about, you know. And um, I think I would, I think I would have liked that. But I was so well. A, I had offers in LA more so than than uh, Chicago, and B, I was like, I'm getting the f out of this cold weather. I'm not doing it anymore. That was my goal from young where I'm, I'm as soon as I am able as an adult to be on my own, I will be somewhere warm. Mm -hmm. So it was just that the combination of the two of those things where I was like, I'm out, this is what I'm doing. And you know, you're flying by the seat of your pants, but I guess that's what you're supposed to do to some degree when you're that age, you know, I mean, There's yeah. kind of like a rite of passage. Yeah. I, I, it brings up to me like while, while you were at the theater school in terms of talking about black box stuff and stuff, did you have, favorite roles at the theater school or how was your casting like did you hate it did you love it I was okay with it actually considering what we've covered in terms of not a lot of availability for you to express yourself as someone who's I don't know different it it I did okay I Androcles and the Lion was I, I it was a treat man those kids Performing for kids is just, come on, you know? And I remember at the end where it was like, it was like this Roman uh, Coliseum type feel at the end. And it, uh, Eric Slater played, I think, played the, it wasn't Brutus, was it? Or, you know. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. And, oh yeah, and Seneca. And all. anyway, they fight and then they get in the ring and like, let them live or let them die. Thumbs up, thumbs down. And all the kids would be like, oh, yes. die, die, die. And it was just a trip, man. They're just so into it. And uh, to, to and I think we entered from the back of the uh through the the audience through and they just were over the moon these kids man and it was it was a treat and it, it it wasn't like you know it took a lot out of you to play this role you just felt nice and it did have some some uh, and I, I loved it I loved and it. I feel like it was Don Ilko's way of apologizing for a hundred percent yeah for being a dick in class a hundred percent I respect that I totally because look, we both that. got cast in that thing, and then you got Andrew, Andrew from Trinidad, 
who, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, he was able to knock a few balls out of the park with this one play. And does anybody talk to Andrew? That's somebody whose name I thought of a few times over the years, but I haven't been able to like keep up with him. I'm I believe sure I he happened. went to Yale for grad school. For Are Andrew. you kidding me right no. now? <laughs> I'm not. I'm pretty sure I saw that. I He's a friend of a friend of a friend. And I think I saw that I checked him out on social media and I'm pretty sure that he went to Yale for grad school. That makes sense. He always had such a regal. He, yeah, right? he did have that air. I gotta, he did have that air. She's like, I gotta go. I'm sorry. <laughs> She's like, oh, that, that's my plane. She's like, that's my jet. <laughs> and I'm out. And I'm out. Um, uh, and so, so yeah, that, that I, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. And um, obviously being on the main stage, you know, having a show um, and having a lead role in a main stage was, you know, the, the, the cherry on top. And that was our last play. Huh? Yeah. I got, uh, no, it would have been it would have been in your third year because Boz wasn't there in our fourth year. I took a, a leave of absence, so that was our oh, last play of third year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. Look, uh, yeah, I'm time. not. I don't remember yesterday, so I don't. Yeah, don't worry. Um, me neither. Me neither. Uh, uh, so here's a funny one. You know how. Uh, uh, a lot of the teachers would, a lot of the Iron Curtain would wait till uh, the end of a performance to go see, you, to go evaluate you and your show. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they would evaluate you on your performance so they could tell you whether you were invited back or not, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of them would wait till the end um, to see it at, at its full, you know, roundness or whatever. And I got deathly ill. I mean, things were coming out of everywhere and it was 12 hours straight. It started at like nine at night and went like literally went till nine and nine in the morning and the play was at 11 or whatever. And I called Don and I was like, or I think I had somebody called Don and was like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. And he begged and he begged just show up we'll put a bu- bucket off stage you know whatever and it he it, he went on and on so much that it made me feel like I was doing something wrong or I wasn't a good actress or I wasn't you know gonna make it because I didn't show up for this last performance which was the performance all the teachers were planning on coming to see of course and but there was just there was a bucket off stage wasn't going to work. I mean, I was going to be like literally crapping my pants on stage. It just wasn't going to, not to mention I had, you know, zero hydration over 12. Right. It was just not going to work. And I understood where he was at. Like there is truth to sometimes when you're sick, you perform very, very well because you're detached from your ego because it's distracted by being sick. Right. This was a little bit beyond that. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. And so I just remember being devastated and, and loving that show and the run of it so much that it had to end on, on that note, they ended up having, um, and I can't remember the girl's name, but it, she did like a earpiece feeding of lines. Uh, Jen could probably tell you because she had to do the play with her, but 
I get. I fed her lines. I would just. Oh, this is the one, Buzz, where you were dragging the girl around stage, yeah. and then that was yeah. one of your best performances. Yeah, see, one of my best. I was sad, but I, I because I had to drag this lady around stage. Be present. I was really sad. At, I was scared shitless, but I said, okay, Wait, we'll who, do it. Who was it? Who was it? Was it one of Kate? I can see it, was either, it was either Kate McKiernan or Jennifer Lowe or Kate, was it? I think it was, it was a, Kate a McKiernan. white, short haired. Uh, someone. Get, well, we'll have to ask. We'll have to yeah. have, I don't know who Jen Lowe is, but we'll have to have Kate McKiernan on and, and I'm ask pretty, her The about name it. Jen Lowe, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It wasn't her. Okay. She was then I thin think it was Kate, and yeah. I think it was Kate McKiernan, actually. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I was and, and then also on top of that, knowing somebody else is in there doing your role, it's like somebody sleeping with your boyfriend. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah. oh God, someone's doing my role. Really? They should have just canceled the show. I really? Let's just canceled canceled the show. I mean, it's a kid's show. But anyway, yeah. I, I it it was a it, it was just a small uh you know, blip. Uh, yeah. So that, so then if all those professors couldn't see you uh, to evaluate you, I guess they were just going based off of the other, the other two, two uh, shows, but did you ever get warned? Yes. Yeah. I think so. Okay. So based on what I told you about my youth and the defense humor mechanism that I came up with, uh, improv and i were like the best of yes friends. yeah and i i, I it, as a young kid like i said i was new everywhere i went i didn't know anyone so i'd be at home either watching sports with my brother and my dad or i would be watching the carol burnett show yes and this was my jam this was yeah. my jam the spontaneity the 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 that quick pacing the saying yes i just <clears throat> It was everything, man. I loved it. And so I breezed through first year. Rick Murphy was like, you're good to go. No worries, man. And I was like, all right, this is crazy. <laughs> and then second year came <laughs> and I looked at a script and I was like, huh? You know, mm. I, it's like math to me. Mm, it's mm -hmm. like, it feels, it, it was immediately constricting. I, I don't know how to explain it or if anybody else feels that way. I, I actually think I heard Tate say something to this regard, but it's like, you know, it, it's so. Yeah, yes, Tate did say that. Mm -hmm. It's like claustrophobic. And I and like I said, I didn't have experience. I didn't have a ton of experience. You know, I did some little tiddly diddlies in the high school thing and what, you know, and um it uh, it was extremely intimidating, and I think that's when I ran into trouble. Um, Shakespeare, oddly enough, helped me through that because, like I said, I also I, I loved that observation portion of life and the psychological aspect of life. And in order to do Shakespeare, it requires a lot of research and like what I call investigative work. And that in turn really kind of becomes your uh, your uh, rehearsal history, you know, in some in, on a like intimate level because there's references in there that you're like, what the fuck does this mean? So you got to go look it up, and then you develop a relationship with that material because you have to you have to really do this investigative work to understand what the heck's going on and it showed me how to understand a script a little bit better as odd as that seems because Shakespeare just seems like a mountain compared to like a regular 
regular script, it, you know, at least on the surface. So for me, it actually made it enjoyable. And I, I, I responded well to that and I enjoyed it, which, which surprised me. So that was something. That's interesting. I never thought about that, but now that you're saying it makes perfect sense that like when you're reading something that's contemporary, you have an immediate connection to that character as being like some other archetype that you're very familiar with. But when you're going in a completely new direction, a, a, a time frame that you have no context for, and you, kind of like what you're saying about being sick, taking you out of your ego, I think maybe doing Shakespeare does that a little bit too, because it's not like you're comparing yourself to XYZ amazing actor doing the part, or you're not comparing yourself to like this character that you know from your real life. It's so, it's so foreign that you yeah, can only it's like really a, take a, a, another language. Yeah. You know? So right. it's like you have to, and it just for me really connected me to the, that material in a way That's that, awesome. that I couldn't connect to like just normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't, I like, they'd be like, your inflection's all wrong. And I'd be like, huh? Like I, it was really wild. I, how much I didn't know. And, and um, I got by, I think, a lot because of my ability to mimic and like be the chameleon and that. And so I did get a warning. Uh, I don't even remember when it was. I want to say it was third or fourth, uh, not till third or fourth year, but I definitely was. A, oh, no, I think maybe I did get one earlier on around when the script work was coming out, but I improved or whatever to their satisfaction to say. And um and uh, yeah, that was tough. That was that I found that incredibly difficult. Um, it was, and I felt like everybody had, you know, infinite amount of script work and comfortability mm-hmm. with that portion of it, you know, under their belt. And I was just, you know, some outlier. <laughs> mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that was probably not true. <laughs> did, did, did you feel um, a competitive with the rest of the people in the class? We talked to people, you know, did you feel like, oh, I'm, I just wonder about that. I like to ask people about that. I, I certainly did. I, I felt silently competitive and silently terrible, but I didn't, I didn't have I think like. that's a good way to describe it. Okay. You I felt the same kind of like silently, silently. Yeah. And like comparing. I said, it was more. Like the, the, I mean, yeah, even in that time, it was, it's apparent that you're in a room of a bunch of actors who need attention. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they need attention. That's just what, you know, I mean, when you think of drama and that, that's what, you know, that, so you have all those personalities together competing. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's one thing. It's just individuals having lunch, but you know, (laughs) personalities together, just having an afternoon tea. But then you put them in a four-year competitive cycle, and you really are competing with the person next to you for a spot. Even though, like you said, Gina, in a previous episode, that you know, oh, we don't cut based on any number. Mm -hmm. We just cut. Come on. You know yeah, what I right. mean? Like, you're telling me they don't have a number they're trying to whittle it down to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, yeah it, you are competing with the person next to you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I definitely, it, 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 uh, it was, a, it was a challenge. And I think you're right. It was like a silent, it was more like an inner struggle c- com- competition type of thing. 
Yeah, because yeah. I mean, and Erica, Erica talks about it. Her episode, like hers, was an outwardly like they would do that cut motion when people were performing on uh, on stage. I didn't, I didn't dare do that, but I, no, I, I. I, would- I that was bold and brave that she did. I mean, mean girl stuff too, but like, I, I wasn't that bold to be able to say no. that part. Cause I was like, that's going to be me. <laughs> yeah. Be yeah. Me. No, I, I was never in that mode. No, no I, there I, was something kind of wild about their class. I feel like, I feel like they had a bunch of really, really, really strong personalities. And I think it got, you know, somewhat volatile at times. Yeah, but. yeah I agree. I wanted to ask you something because you, you've mentioned math a couple of times. You said, I'm not a math person, but you have to <laughs> no, educate me that. because I think about poker as you have to know something about math, right? Cause it's like you're counting. I don't, I, I don't know how to play it, but it seems like there's a lot of math involved. So tell me how your personality and the things that you were craving and going for led you to do this profession of playing poker. I love it. I, I just got to say that it's like a crazy love affair, but um, I mean, it shows you who you are, but in terms of the, in terms of the math, I, you, you do have to do math. I mean, and I, I try to get by doing the most basic, <laughs> the most basic math and, you know, you played your strengths. So um, observational skills, psychological aspects, um, gaining an edge just by eating right, exercising, living well. Uh, bankroll management, um, discipline, patience, you know, you just, you, you have an edge right there without even knowing math against a lot of these, you know, degenerate gamblers. So, um, uh, so it's more like being an athlete than, than anything else. Correct. Okay. This is fascinating. (laughs) It's different. It's different. And a lot of people like they hear that and um, that I'm a poker player. And I think there's a tendency to think like it's glamorous. (laughs) It's not. It's a it's it's a grind. It's a grind. But I love doing it. I love making my own hours. I love being my own boss. I love being responsible for whatever I got to do, you know. But if you're going to do this as as a as a as a career or as a uh, main source of income, there, you have to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined. So for me, the focus um, was I've been playing five, six, five or six years, I guess. And, um, you know, it started slow and then um, it just took off and I spent a couple years, I, I decided that what what I wanted to do was play and travel around as much as much as I could. And my boyfriend loves baseball. He's like a baseball savant. And so we our plan was to just travel all over and go to places that have baseball and go to places that have poker <clears throat> and um, and do the thing, you know, and just live that way and 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 live simple, just kind of a simple simple life and we mapped out a whole year whole year and then COVID hit so I was like right in the height of that and it was it was really going well it was awesome but so now I'm getting 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 back into that and 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 uh um so I guess I'm not answering your question but it's the observation skills that yeah that no, everybody you has an edge you did everybody because I think edge. the thing that Boz and I have identified about the same thing that led us to do 
acting as led us to be therapists is just being really fascinated by people and their behavior. And in your case, it would be their tells and their, oh my know, God. What, right. I'm sure you could write a book about, you know, the things that people are non-verbally communicating all the time. I could go on and on, not to mention the woman thing, you know, 6% of the field playing poker is women. So. Wow. So small. Yeah. And the majority of them play, I play cash games and the majority of them play tournament games because a tournament, you have more, the the playing field's more level because everybody buys in for the same amount. Everybody gets the same amount of chips and you play until one person has all the chips. So I think for women, it's more comfortable to go in that atmosphere. Um, And then where I play, it's cash. You can buy in for whatever set amount you want and get up and leave whenever you want, whether you've lost it all or doubled up or whatever the case may be. So, so that, that particular uh, type of poker play is, is less attractive to women across the board as I see it, as, as I've seen it. So that in itself was a challenge to start. How the hell did you figure out that you were so good at at poker? How does that come about? Do you play with friends? Like, that's (laughs) amazing. I, it was interesting. I, um, uh, my boyfriend and I were sitting around and I think it had rained for like five days in a row and there was like nothing to do. And he said, uh, I'm going to teach you how to play poker. He had played for several years. Um, just, you know, recreationally online and stuff. And, and, and he didn't think I'd say yes. And I was like, sure. And he taught me and I, I was in, in love, like instantly. It was like, I don't know guys, like it was like all the, uh, uh, things I had been through in my life, like, and all the characteristics and t- survival mechanisms and things I had developed over the years, be it um, acquired uh, naturally or worked at, lended it, led, lended it was themselves. All leading up this to this. So cool. This is the most perfect <laughs> profession was, you could have ever had. I just, it just was like, bing. And then it's, it's, it offers infinite infinite learning learning possibilities so you're never you're never there you're never done you're never and and no two situations are alike ever you're never at a table with the same kind of people you see the craziest shit go down (laughs) (laughs) and it just it shows you who it's it's for me it shows me who i am it's like a big old mirror and if you can, and, and you know, it just so happens that the way you keep score is through money. So if you don't think that your reactions to things, you know, are going to be tested and um, show you, like I said, show you who you are, then you got another thing coming because it, it really does. Uh, you have no choice but to be stripped down to the, the yeah, the, it's, it's, I love it. I do people it. do people make a do people that you're playing against make a lot of assumptions yes. about you because you're a woman? Hundred percent. And I play an exploitative style. So what does that I mean? so I exploit uh, their weaknesses and mistakes to my advantage. So like that. you know sometimes you know I'll run like a long con you know <laughs> like where in the beginning of a session I concede you know I might fold a little bit more or do you know I won't fight so hard to win a a pot or a hand because I'm going to I'm playing into their I'm I'm c- confirming their bias 
of who I am. Oh, she's weak. She's a woman. She doesn't really know what the F she's doing. I can just blow her off of any hand or whatever. And so I play to that. And then later it's like, oh, look at this spot, you know, and, and you can flip the script and they're not even sure what's going on. And yeah, they probably still leave there thinking I have no idea what I'm doing, but I don't think shit. <laughs> Right, as long as you got the money. I got their money in my wallet. (laughs) This is this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. I mean, this is like this is like a TV series right here, right here. (laughs) It is different. It is a different. (laughs) I mean, if I knew how to edit and and had uh, a little bit less shame, I would do a vlog. I would do a vlog. (laughs) Oh, I'll help you with that if you really want to do that. That's I'd like. I'd like a little practice with that. Actually, I'm really good at editing. She's I, yeah, a great I don't know editor. About that. And and all the there are several uh, uh, vloggers out there, and they say it takes them, you know, the vlogs are usually about fifteen minutes, and they say they say it takes them uh, an hour a minute to edit. Yeah, with so video, I don't must have be twenty harder. hours a week. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, yeah, I would actually, I'd be very, I'm not kidding, I'd be very I'd interested like, in helping. I already with have that. like a, a series in my head called the Long Con. <laughs> Yeah, it's about oh a, a female, a female poker player. So there you go. Trademark, it. trademark. She trademarked trademark, it, everybody. Trademark, trademark. All right, yeah, let's get it. Stephanie, let's, that let's that makes it. perfect sense, by the way, because another thing that I remember about you from school is you always saw right through everybody. You always saw right to the center, and it's not. Uh, to my mind, you never used that power like in, in a negative way, uh, except for if it's maybe joking, but that's what everybody did. Uh, but sure. you always could see right to the heart of a matter. And you were always the per- you were always the person who whenever there would be some lofty acting conversation, you would just be like, yeah, but really it's like this. And you would just get right to the heart of the matter. I so appreciate that about you. And I'm so glad that you got a good finger on the pulse of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You really like, and also your dad, I don't know if you're, is your dad still around? No, he passed away in uh, 2016. Oh, because he would have really seen that you did turn out to be the athlete that he wanted you to be. Well, that's funny that you say that because he was over the moon about me playing poker. Just really? absolutely so excited. My mom, every time I mention it, she's like, <gasps> there's like a like a like a reaction. So I just kind of lay off and I'm like, I get it, you know, and I have an addict an, an addictive history. So it's like, oh great, my addict daughter is playing poker now. You know, right. I understand I, I'm very compassionate and empathetic to the idea that she's not stoked on me on it. But she's still she's still supportive. And she, I, I, you know, I told her, hey, this is my job. Gotta get over it. But and she's fine. I just don't really I also think she doesn't know anything about it. So it's hard for her to, you know, sure. she wants to talk about decorating in the beach and and um <laughs> decorating and I, 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 I 100% uh, understand that. So it's, it's, it's a non-issue. But my dad was like, so loved it. He loved it. And he was, he was sick for several years leading up to his passing in 2016. And him and my boyfriend, his name is Steve, uh, they got along. Like, they were, like, tight, man. And... Um, and, uh, and so we started taking him, you know, he isolated a lot. He was probably depressed. Um, and so we got him and he retired, he had retired here in Las Vegas and had a beautiful home. And he, we would, we would, um, get him out of the house and take him, uh, when we'd come visit to, uh, little tournaments, like little tournaments, 
to play, like a $40 tournament or whatever. And we just loved it. And I remember it was in the very beginning and I won the tournament and, and uh, I, I gave him the money. I gave him, he was like, oh, you know, he doesn't need the money, but he just has given me so much over the years. I know it wasn't very much money, but I gave him the money and he, he was so like, just, oh my God, I can't believe he won. Like it, it was, he, it, he was so pleased. It, it, it was awesome. I and met your then, dad once. Once I met your dad and he was brilliant and loving yeah. and kind and hilarious. And he reminded me of my dad who was a basketball player as well. And oh no I shit. Just, and your dad, the love your dad had for you, you could see a mile away. You know, I've had so many people say that and and me, my whole life has been about getting gaining approval, which is so ironic because all the you people around me it. can see that, you know, I just, it's so, so funny. That's so funny. But I was able that game actually really because we had a, a volatile time, you know, through historically. And it was at the end where we were close. And that game, man, that was a timely uh, bond that we had before he passed away. It was, he was so stoked. And, and he, he, he never got to see me like be a for-profit player as a full, you know, my full-time gig. Um, but I think he'd definitely be pleased. He'd be That's pleased. beautiful because really all kids, all parents want for their kids is that they win, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah, of course. That's the thing yeah, about 100%. life. Oh mm-hmm. What a beautiful note to end on. You, thank you, Stephanie. This thank you guys. I was kind of all over the place, but no, hey, it's brilliant. And it. also the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Yeah, take, sure. My my final thing is take all their money. Just take all yes, their ma'am. money. Okay. And then we're gonna make a show. Yes, yes. Make a show about it. Yes. liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an undeniable ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Ink, please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you!